Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. We're back from vacation. Ian, how was LA? It was really good. It was sunny. And then I came back to Toronto and there was a snowstorm. So it was a nice kind of, you know, wake up to reality when you're living in Canada. That's just kind of the way the winters go. So it was nice to get away from it for a week. I went to LA for basically a week, got to see LeBron versus Zion, got to see Kawhi live. I did a weekend in Vegas. And that weekend in Vegas is when the Leafs lost to their Zamboni driver. So I tried to get away from the Leafs for a week and they just kept following me around. I, I can't quit this team. Ah, well, I, did you have to do report cards for that game? I did, and Oof. it was uh, time. Yeah, it's tough. My girlfriend was laughing because she was just cheering for the Zamboni driver, and I'm screaming in my Vegas hotel room at a laptop computer. That's it's... funny that you mentioned you were screaming because I was watching my York Lions qualify for nationals, and when we scored the winning goal, I screamed so loud that the hotel staff came up because they thought I was injured, which is a whole other different situation in and of itself. But the York women's teams is off to nationals, and it's the first time in I think 25 years of the program that that's happened. So it's, it's a really exciting time and off to PEI next week. And it's going to be, it's going to be fun. So that was that, but you, so you came back to a bunch of snow. I came back on, what was it? Saturday night to two feet of driveway. And I actually had to shovel myself into my own driveway. It's always a nice, (laughs) you know, when you get back from vacation and there's just like a giant path of snow that you can't even get to your doorway, it's a nice realization that you live in Canada. Yeah, it, it there was like it was to the point where I basically debated just like, oh, I need to ice my knee. Let me just go stand in the snow because it is past my kneecaps. You know who else is going to have to get used to that weather? Andreas Athanasiu is going to be playing in Edmonton. We're going to kind of go around the NHL this week and talk about teams who have made moves over the past couple weeks because our last podcast was right before the trade deadline. Then there was this past week where both me and Rachel were on vacation and there were kind of trades around the league. I want to start with Edmonton because I always found it fascinating how they didn't have any wingers and now they traded for Tyler Ennis and Andreas Athanasiu who are both top nine quality wingers. Watching them play alongside McDavid, I thought the Athanasiu McDavid fit would be better. I have to be honest. I thought that their speed off the rush would just be terrifying, but I'm kind of worried that Athanasiu is so bad along the boards and he's so bad defensively that it might not be a proper fit long term with McDavid. I don't know. They're testing him on the third line right now. I want it to work because I've always been such a huge fan of Athanasio's speed, but I'm wondering if he might just be a better fit on a second or third line on that team. See, here's the thing is... Let's let's answer a couple of questions. Is Andreas Athanasiu a better hockey player than Zach Cassian? Yes or no? I would say yes. Depends on what, how you're valuing hockey players, but I would say Athanasiu yes. probably helps you score more goals and right. win more hockey games in that regard. Old school people would tell you that Zach Cassian, you know, punches people in the face. As Keith Jones told Mike Milbury this past weekend, you're wrong. Um, that was, <laughs> that was one Sean of Couturier being the most uh, important player on the Flyers. That was that. one of the greatest clips. I haven't watched like NBC in a while, and I saw it down when I was in the states. I think like St. Louis is playing Chicago. Um, 
But then someone sent me this clip from the weekend and I died laughing. Like I was laughing so hard. Um, but one I was of the watching things- a Pittsburgh-Washington game in the shower of my hotel room in Vegas. They had a little TV in the mirror. Okay, of, that of is a little alarming. And I and- could turn up the volumes that there's surround sound in the bathroom. It was incredible. <laughs> it was such a good experience. I need a TV in my bathroom. Okay, so to back to Athanasi. One of the things that <laughs> Edmonton's always been lacking is speed on McDavid's wings. What is he known for? Speed on the wing. And I also think it's probably a little bit important to point out that he got injured, I think, in his second game. So he hasn't really had the chance to... A, I'm not going to believe that he's fully healthy because no one goes down like that and misses the rest of a game and then just magically appears next game fully healthy. Um, So I think he probably deserves a bit more of a shot. And like for crying out loud, you gave up a couple picks for him and there's finally some proven speed there. Maybe give them more than a game and a half to develop chemistry. I don't know. Um, But I think it could end up being like a long-term thing. Um, You see on the Evolving Wild... Um, our APM charts, like McDavid's not exactly a shining beacon of defense. So I don't think that he's going to be a line that's going to be defensive at all. So I really don't think that if you're putting a fantasy on that line, that that's what you're looking for. Um, I just think that it's really good that uh, Ken Holland actually went out and got McDavid NHL caliber wingers and specifically two wingers that can handle a puck, that have speed, that think the game at a relatively high level compared to what he was playing with. And we'll see what happens. But I think you're really not going to see a lot of chemistry developed for at least seven or eight games. Like, you got to be able to learn tendencies. And McDavid's probably like, oh my goodness, I've never played with someone this fast. How do I do this kind of thing? Um, And so I, I think it'll be a couple weeks before we kind of really see if there's chemistry there. The thing that bothers me with praising Ken Holland right now is that Tyler Ennis was available in the offseason. Mm, there were true. a lot of wingers that were available in the offseason, and they came into this season thinking that Jujar Kyra in the top nine was a good idea. And I just, it never made any sense to me, never made sense to a lot of people. And lo and behold, they needed to add wingers at the deadline. I'm glad that they did it, but they had to give up draft capital that was unnecessary to give up if they could have just acquired some players in the offseason for free. But that's a whole another can of worms. Edmonton fans are probably going to be mad at me for saying that, A, the, I'm not a big fan of the way that this team's been assembled over the last couple of years. I think it's nonsensical that Leon Dreisaitl's in heart consideration when he's not even the best player on his team. But He has four again, goals while we are recording this podcast, by the way. <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl? He has four goals tonight. It is Monday night. So maybe he's just determined to prove me wrong, and he's going to put up like 150 points this season. And but he's you're win right, though. Anyways. He's not even the best player on his team. And you know who should be getting hard consideration, but just definitely won't because his team's not going to make the playoffs? Panarin. Oh my god. He's a one-man team, basically, at this point. Did you see the lack of defense that the Rangers exhibited against the Flyers all on the season? weekend? Like, they literally forgot. Say, they haven't played defense all year. There were multiple points where I was texting people in the game where I'm like, did did the Rangers just, like, not remember how to play defense? Like, you gave up four and a half expected goals at 5-on-5. Five five. Never mind special teams. Like, what did you think was going to happen? 
But the thing that's fun about the Rangers is that you have Adam Fox on the blue line who's really making a difference offensively. Anthony D'Angelo moving the puck up the ice. They're finally playing Jacob Trubo with someone who probably belongs in the NHL instead of who was it who was playing top pairing minutes with him all year? It was some random dude who I'd never heard of. And they were just hard matching him to top competition. It wasn't going well. That team's interesting. I'm not sure if they get into the playoffs, but I've always been a big fan of their talent. I thought that if the goaltending held up, that they would compete for the playoffs just based on how good Panarin is. And I think he's proven that even if he doesn't win the heart or even come top three in heart voting, he's someone that makes such a big difference at even strength. He quarterbacks their power play. He's a true superstar in this league, and that's why you pay superstar prices to acquire that kind of talent. Exactly. And that's one of those things where it's like, did you go a little bit long on the contract? Yeah, probably. But like, look what he's doing. The front end of that contract is going to help you so much right now that it's worth some of that risk at the back half of it. But again, I'm not even sure if there's going to be that much risk just because of how good Panarin is. Yeah. But let's transition and talk about a team who actually did make a move at the deadline. I know that New York kind of stayed put. They re-signed Chris Kreider instead of Well, they did trade Brady Shea to another Metro team that I am sure we're going to get to. Yeah, that was confusing because... The Trocheck trade is the big one we're going to talk about in Carolina, but the Brady Shea one I feel like isn't getting enough attention. How many more years is he under contract? Because that's a fascinating trade that kind of flew under the radar with everything that Carolina did. Okay, so I think Brady Shea is four more years at 5-2-5. So, I mean, to be fair, you only gave up a first-round pick for a defenseman that's proven that he can be capable of doing things. Um, And... To be honest, I don't believe his numbers are that bad, even though the Rangers are very much not great. Um, And to be honest, like Carolina's decor is pretty damn good. And I know Brett Pesci's out a while, but that's a really good defenseman. Jacob Slavin should be in Norris contention uh, if defense was actually evaluated. Um, And then you have depth guys like Dougie Hamilton is out, I think, still. Basically, um, I think Jake it's Gardner, until the rest of the season. If he comes back, it would be later in the playoffs, I think. Right. So they have a really good decor. And to add both Brady Shea and Sammy Vatanen, um, Vatanen's going to be put in a role where he's going to play like probably five, six minutes as opposed to one minutes. And that's more suitable. Like I would say Vatanen's a good four. And for him to be able to play kind of behind Slavin and Shea, I think it's a better fit for him, and uh, I love what Carolina did at the deadline. Like, uh, for me, if you would have told me all, like, you like you watch the Leafs every game. I don't, because I just, I tried not to. Um, if you, if I would have told you, hey, you could get Brady Shea for a first-round pick, would you have done it? See, that's the thing I'm not sure about, especially if I'm Carolina, just because defense is such a strength of yours, I'm not no, sure but if, if you needed I'm to I'm talking just strict capital, like, would you give up a first-round pick for Brady Shea, regardless of your situation? I would. I've, I didn't think that Brady Shea had earned that contract when he first signed it. I think he's played better this season than I expected him to, but I'm still not sure if he's a guy that I want on the books until 2024 at $5.25 million. But maybe that comes down to a, a difference of opinion on, on how good we think Brady Shea is. Maybe if he's playing second-pairing minutes because you have Slavin taking the toughs, Okay, I guess Jake Gardner's on the third pairing there. He's had a real disappointing season in Carolina. 
I like this team in Carolina. I like that they're buying and they're just trying to acquire as many good players as they can. I think we're going to have to talk about Vincent Trocek now. Uh, yeah. I, I don't get what Florida's doing. I mean, I do in that it's clear that ownership said you need to shed salary. And from the sounds of it, they're going to be shedding even more in the offseason. You know what I think but it is? You- it's it's a huge screw you to management because they signed... Someone came out and said they have to shed $10 million in salary. And what did they do this summer? They signed Bobrovsky for precisely $10 million. Like that to me just says, okay, you made a $10 million mistake. Now guess what? You're going to have to shed $10 million in salary. It just seems like a really short-sighted screw you situation to me. To think that Florida a few years ago had Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith and willingly gave up both of them so that they didn't have to expose Petrovich in the expansion <laughs> that's incredible and now they're giving up vincent trocheck because of another mistake that they made that's an entire line those three used to be on a line that was their second line that's those are three top six forwards that they've basically lost for more or less nothing now and i know that they got assets back in the vincent trocheck trade but Here's the thing about Florida. A few weeks ago, they were neck and neck with Toronto. In fact, they were ahead of Toronto, and it's looking like Toronto might miss the playoffs. Now, ah, uh, yes, because people in Toronto were taking that very well. I Specifically, a man well. in a blue jersey who yells into a camera for a living was really happy about it. Me, Dangle, and a lot of Leafs fans were going through a great time in the week preceding the trade deadline. I was trying to get away from it. I was in LA. I was in Vegas. I was trying to like have my little vacation. And then they're losing to a Zamboni driver. And they're dropping a 5 nothing lead to Pittsburgh in the second period. And then they come back and play an amazing game against Pittsburgh. And then you think they're going to trade Tyson Berry, and they don't trade Tyson Berry. No more Leafs talk. I'm, I'm stopping myself just because this team is so confusing, and I'm rooting for them, and I hope that they pull it off. Another team I'm rooting for, Carolina. All this talent oh, they've yeah. acquired. Look, lines one through four, there's talent offensively. A bit more goal-scoring talent now. I like the idea of them being in the offensive zone more than the other team. And again, for anyone who was watching that Leafs-Carolina uh, game, they can really shut a game down, and they can just dominate puck possession. If they have a lead, they can hold on to it. The question with them is, do they have the goal-scoring talent to kind of get that goal when they really need one late in the game? And are they going to be making saves in playoff situations if they're playing their third and fourth goalie? I don't know what the injuries are to James Reimer. He's never really been able to stay healthy for a consistent amount of time. Petr Mrazic's never had a concussion before, so I'm curious to see how recovery from that happens. But I like this team. I like the idea of them. Their last win was the emergency backup situation. Like, they lost 4-1 to Dallas, 3-2 to Colorado, and then in overtime to Montreal. Like, so they haven't won. So Columbus, basically, that are going to, and I guess the New York Islanders, that are all going to be competing for that last spot there. Rangers fans are going to say, hey, we're in it too. Florida Panthers fans are going to say, we're in it. But sorry, Florida, I just, I feel like when management completely quits on your team, I think that's going to have an effect on the players. And I, I just, I don't think Florida's going to have a good chance. I think Dom's model has Florida at what percent to make the playoffs right now? 12% chance for Florida to make the playoffs as of right now. Yeah, It that's... feels lower than that, honestly, just based on everything that's happened the last couple weeks. Yeah, and, and to me, the whole, like, Trocheck deal, like, Carolina gave up a couple good prospects. Like, I like Chase Prisky a lot. Um, but to get a player like Trocheck, you immediately slot him in as your second-line center. Like, he's got cost certainty. There's just so much there that 
and it pushes everyone else down the lineup and it forces other teams to match a little bit harder and to really figure out who they want playing against too because now it's not just Aho Shvechnikov type of situation there are multiple lines multiple weapons to a greater extent they had multiple lines in secondary scoring but adding Trocek in like that's a huge piece and now you look at what Tampa Bay is doing in the Atlantic Division as well they added Blake Coleman for a hefty price giving up Nolan Foote and some other assets and they paid a first for Barclay Goodrow if I told you a month or two ago that Barclay Goodrow was going to net a first round pick you would have said what I Actually, it was so funny because I was in, I am not afraid to admit this, Magic Kingdom on the trade deadline, and I got a text from someone that said, did they just pay a first for Goodrow, question mark? And I was like, Barclay Goodrow, question mark? And the reply was yes, and I literally replied with, oh my god, lol. Like, I had to stop eating my Mickey ice cream sandwich because I had to double check that this, I was not being tricked. That's how ridiculous I thought it was. Like, I thought it so was Tampa a joke. Tampa Bay's really all in this year. Right. Picking up Zach Bogosian to give them some minutes on the blue line. Uh, top That's, four uh, Zach Bogosian to you, sir. Uh, here's the thing about John Cooper. He's a fantastic coach. I would make an argument that he's been a top three, top five coach in the league over the last few years. But he tends to fall in love with his Dan Girardis and his Andre Susters. Does that not sound a lot like a guy who used to coach in Toronto? It sounds like a lot of NHL coaches. I was going to say, it sounds just, like pretty they, much they every old school coach. They can't help themselves with the Cody Cc's of the world and the Chris Russells of the world. And getting a Zach Bogosian, I'm just kind of worried that he's going to play more minutes for them than he probably should. Can I make a bold prediction? Go for it. Zach Bogosian is going to play farther up the lineup than he should and he is going to cost Tampa dearly in the playoffs. It, whether it's a goal or uh, a penalty against a player he shouldn't be playing against, it is going to cost Tampa. See, you say that, but then he's going to fight someone in Game 5, and they're going to turn around and win, and it's going to be because of Zach Bogosian. Well, then I'll happens, eat my words, so. but that is a prediction I will make, because if you're going to play him 22 minutes a night, that's just not going to go very well. Good luck with that, but... What Florida does have now, or sorry, what Tampa Bay has now is just a ridiculous forward core. You look at their top nine, oh it's God. stupid how and they good have that team legitimate is. spread in terms of what type of players. And you look at Anthony Sorelli, who is a legitimate Selkie contender. Blake he Coleman. Should be. I doubt you he actually gets the oh, consideration, no but Sor- same with Blake really Coleman, though. Like, he's criminally underrated for the Selkie. He's so good defensively. Um,. And they've both got sandpaper, which, like, I guess Tampa learned they needed in the playoffs. But guess what? Those are both guys with sandpaper that actually contribute to the outcome of the game. I would say that Blake Coleman's much better than Barclay Goodrow, in my opinion. Uh, That's not really a discussion. He is. Okay. Yeah. Because Barclay Goodrow, to me, is just kind of a guy. I think CJ Torturo kind of said it best. Like, on... A non-contending team, Blake Coleman is probably a second-line player, or should be a second-line player. On Tampa, he's a third-line player, and a damn good one at that. Like, he is, he's a menace to play against, he shuts guys down, he's a first-line penalty killer, and he provides offense. Like, there's so much that he does, and the fact that he's locked up for next year, um, 
he's going to be a, a good piece for Tampa in the playoffs. Like, they're going to get their money's worth uh, with him. That I, I just, I don't doubt. He's just one of those guys who plays winning hockey. You know, just makes the little plays consistently, and that's why he tilts the ice in his team's favor. But let's talk about another major trade that happened that I wasn't expecting. Robin Lehner to Vegas. Via this Toronto. This one fascinates me. <laughs> yeah, Toronto was somehow involved. Didn't they pick up a fourth or a fifth round pick in there? Uh, it was like a fifth. They bought a fifth for like $200,000 or something. Some salary. I mean, you might as well do it. But that can, tandem's but... crazy. They have Fleury and Lehner now. Like, those are two legit goaltenders. I would go with Laner as my starter. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the tough part with goaltending is that you need to have a feel for how your defense is playing in front of you if you're going to perform well. But Robin Laner just hasn't cared about that over the last few years. He's gone from Buffalo to the island to Chicago. Now he's coming to Vegas. And he's been good in every stop over the last couple of years. I I don't know what Vegas is planning come playoff time, if they're just going to ride the hot hand, if the idea is that Leonard's going to be the number two if Flurry falters, but I was really hoping to see Robin Lehner in a Carolina Hurricanes jersey. I thought that would have been more interesting, but him in Vegas, I mean, why not? Uh, he's a good goalie. You can add him. What did they give up to, to take him again? Um, Malcolm Subban, and I want to say a couple of picks. See, Malcolm Subban, I don't think he's ever going to be they a starting bully at this him. point. They did not believe in him. When you're playing, like, dude that I can't remember his name from the AHL over Malcolm Subban, that tells me that you don't believe in him. So I kind of give them credit for moving moving Subban along to give him a chance in another organization because I think that's important. But Without looking it up, how old do you think Malcolm Subban is? 24. See, he seems to me like he's this young kid. He's 22, whatever, but he's 26. Oh. He, he's deceptively old. He's been in the league for a while, and they, they've tried to make him a legitimate backup. They've tried to, you know, say, hey, he's this prospect. We drafted him in the first round. And this is kind of why you don't draft goalies high, because you just sometimes you never know. Maybe he that has. That was Boston that drafted him that early. I mean, it worked out well with Tuka Rask. Then again, the Leafs drafted him high, and I don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's but, just not do that. Because that is a very sore spot for a lot of people. Here's the thing. I like giving up Malcolm Subban to help you this year with a Robin Lehner because I don't think long-term Malcolm Subban was ever going to be a, a major asset for you. So you might as well parlay him into something that can help you in the playoffs. I want to see Vegas run with Lehner here because I think if you look at his last two or three seasons, there's an argument to be made that he's been a top-five NHL goalie. Oh, I agree. I don't think... I don't think Fleury's been that other than his magical run in the playoffs. So here's the deal. Has Laner been that? Absolutely. And he's having another great season this year. I think he was a Vesna finalist last year, so that's kind of hard to ignore. The other thing that's hard to ignore is recency bias. And when there is a goaltender who puts up a 960-something to take you to the cup final in your first year of existence, that's very difficult to ignore. Now, I want to say he was at a 9.47 the first three rounds of the playoffs to get them into the finals. He was a 9.70 those... in round one. That I remember, which is unheard of. They didn't even play that well. He just refused to let a puck in. It reminded me of J.S. Chaguer that first round against Detroit where he said, no, you're not scoring. <laughs> Actually, you will not pass go. Um, and so I think that's kind of hard to ignore because when you know that you have a goalie who has come in, put his heart and soul, is arguably the most liked player. Not even arguably. He is the most liked player in Vegas. Um, One of the most likable players in the league, even if you just ask every fan base. Everyone's rooting for him. 
Um, and I just think that he, it's going to be him until he proves that he can't do it anymore. And I think that, well, they have Peter DeBoer now as opposed to Gerard Glant, so it is a different coach, who is used to horrendous goaltending. Hello, San Jose. Um, but when you have this kind of tandem, I don't think there's any reason to be tiring either one of them out. Like, the reality of it is, is if, let's say you're in the playoffs and you have a triple overtime game, uh, maybe the guy, the other guy goes the next game so that you don't risk a groin tear or something of that nature. So we know that goaltending is voodoo, but for fun, I'm going to take you a walk down memory lane these last three years. Uh, Flurry's first year in Vegas, 2017-18, he had a 9.27 save percentage. Uh, very good. 40, he played 46 games, didn't quite have the games to be in the Vesna discussion, but, you know... That was a phenomenal year. The following year, a 913 save percentage. Ooh, falling off a little bit. This year, in 47 games, a 906. So, I know save percentage, it's volatile, it could easily bounce up, and by the end of the year, he could be at a 910, 915, just because we never know with goalies. They go on random heaters, and it's just, it's a confusing position to predict. But, he is 35 years old, and he has been steadily declining these last few years, Robin Lehner is 28 in his prime and playing well. I think you go with Lehner. And I know that Fleur is a nice guy. I know he's the guy that got you to your first cup final that year in that magical season that you could write a Disney movie about. But Lehner's the better goalie. Don't you have to go with him? I, you're talking about hockey coaches here. Like, that it just will not happen unless something in Peter DeBoer says, I have to go with Lehner. But to to be fair, like... Vegas is at the top of the division, and Fleury has been their goaltender. Like it, t- yeah, but he hasn't exactly let them down. Six, it's they're not winning because of him. They're winning because Mark Stone. And- no, they're winning because the rest of the Pacific Division is trash. But Vegas is also good. We don't give them enough credit for how good they are. Also, speaking of uh, random moves at the expansion draft, remember when Anaheim gave up Shea Theodore so that they could protect Sammy Vatanen? Yeah, and then proceeded to, to trade him. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's funny in hindsight how these trades, it's like, wait, maybe a really good young player is someone you shouldn't just give up on, Jonathan Marchessault. Uh, yeah. Just throwing that out there. I don't know. Like, I think Fleury is going to be the starter until he proves he can't be. But I do think it'll be more of like a platoon situation because he is 35. So what do they have, like 18 games remaining? Maybe Fleury plays 10 of those and or 11 of those maybe it's like an 11 and 7 situation like I don't see him playing 16 or 15 games I think staying in the west were you surprised to see Colorado not make a major move at the deadline because they had the calf space they had the assets we talked about it heading into the deadline that we liked them as a a team to kind of come out of uh, out of nowhere and, and make a big acquisition it didn't happen I like this team I know they've been dealing with a lot of injuries this year I would have liked to see them make a move at the deadline. I don't know, call me old school, but I would have liked to see even just, you know, buying a second line or second pairing defenseman. See, I would like, I would have liked to have seen them get Robin Lehner. I think that would have been really cool. Um, Just for, like... Hey, they got Michael Hutchinson. They don't need Robin Lehner. Yeah, I, I don't think I need to tell you, the man who does the Leafs report cards for The Athletic, that... Those two goaltenders aren't exactly the same. Hey, Michael Hutchinson didn't have a chance on that shot from the top of the circle. You know what's interesting is just just didn't have a chance on that one. At 
at Columbus uh, Hockey Analytics Conference, Cole Anderson actually did a really good presentation on what goals goalies should be expected to stop based on the position they're supposed to be in. So it's this really unique formula that says, okay, the goalie, based on the pre-shot movement, which of course isn't public, um, this is what the goalie position should be in the net, and therefore this is the expected save percentage. And it was really cool, and I'd be curious to see what goalies rank in the top of that because if you have goalies who are where they're supposed to be in the net odds are they make saves look very easy think about like Carey Price in his he was the first one who came to mind Vesna season like he's just generally oh the puck just hits him well yeah because he's already like he's where he's supposed to be or even a guy like Jacob Markstrom this year well the puck just hits him puck sticks to him or whatever well yeah because if he's in the spot he's supposed to be in then the puck probably hits him so it's one of those things that Cole talked about, and uh, I think his presentation and his slides are on Twitter, and I encourage you to find them because it was something, it's a concept that's really interesting. Um, and I think that with Colorado, um, and because you brought up Michael Hutchinson, um, he is like randomly out of the net a lot. Um, but they acquired Nemestikov, okay, and they didn't really give up anything for him. Um, I would have liked to seen them acquire Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and I'm sure we'll get to him in a second, but I don't think I would have paid uh, a first, a second, and a potential third for him. Yeah, I really like Pajot, and I don't three draft picks like him, though. And I'm not sure if I like him until 2026 for $5 million, because even though I, I like him, I do like this player, and I think he's been underrated for a while. Is he overrated now? I don't know. He might just be rated. He might just be someone who's a good defensive checking center that you can play against the league's best players, and that can open up Matt Barzell to get some more favorable matchups. When I think to Matt Barzell's best season in the league, I think it was arguably his rookie season when he was getting secondary matchups because John Tavares was taking some of those tougher minutes. Pajot can come in now, take some of those minutes. I like the idea of this trade. Don't love the price. Not sure if I love the term on that contract, but I can see why the Islanders would want Pajot. He kind of fits in exactly with what they're doing in terms of just locking things down defensively. They want to be the best defensive team in the NHL, and Pajot is going to help them in that regard. Yes, um, and I tend to agree with you in the fact that like, while he is very good, um, I don't know that I would like him for another, what is it, six years? But I mean, to be fair, it's better than Lou Lamorello just giving up a second-round pick for another fourth-line player, right? Yes, but I, I like. Do I think he's going to be very good in the island? I do. Like I, I think he's a great addition for them. Um, it's certainly better than what did they have Philpola in their first year? Like, not ideal. They get like a PDO of like one hundred eight or something insane. Like his. Oh yes, that's sustainable. Very extremely. (laughs) Um. But I'll be interested to see, like, he, I think he got in a fight in his first game. That's another thing that, like, doesn't get brought up is there's more players of note or players of skilled note fighting now, as opposed to the tough guys. So I kind of am not really buying into this. We need this guy to be a policeman situation, because when I see guys like Pajot fighting and Kasperi Kapanen and, like, I mean, even Malkin was fighting earlier this year. Like, I'm not really buying into this. We need a a sheriff on the ice when we have players who, when emotions run high, they're good enough to drop the gloves. And now Wayne Simmons is going to be fighting the cold in Buffalo. What the hell was that? (laughs) 
I part of me thinks this is like a so Wayne Simmons lives he's from Scarborough um and I believe his wife and children live in Scarborough like and his dogs um and I I think he kind of said <laughs> and okay, his I'm, dogs that's an important excuse me dogs are very important all right so Scarborough um, to Buffalo is an hour 48 according to Google Maps drive Right. And so my assumption was he obviously knew he was going nowhere in New Jersey. Um, so he said, I'd, like, I'd like to go either to a contender or trade me home kind of situation. And I don't think Toronto could take on that amount of salary. Maybe a contender didn't want to pay the price that the Devils were asking. So the next closest place to Wayne Simmons' home is Buffalo. This reminds me of when we talked about Matt Duchesne being close to home, but it was a three hour drive. Are you making that drive every day? I don't think you are. No, I don't think it's every day, but I'm telling you, it's a hell of a lot easier. (laughs) Hmm. Okay, so I'm from the greater Toronto area, and I worked uh, in the very same building that Wayne Simmons just did. New Jersey Devils. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I would 100 times out of 99 rather make the drive from Buffalo to Scarborough than from Newark to Scarborough, because one of those drives is eight and a half hours, and the other one of those drives is an hour and 48 minutes. Depends on traffic, though. Well, if you have a Nexus card, which most NHL players do, then you swipe it at the border, they don't really ask you any questions, and you leave. Oh, border always it's pisses great. me off. I'm always stuck oh, there Oh, see, I have a Nexus card, an and hour, I literally... An hour. I literally, like, you scan your card at the border, you... Sometimes the officer is like, do you have anything to declare? And then you're like, nope, I'm under my exemption. And then they're like, okay, see you kind of thing. So it literally like I spent two minutes at the border the other day, like it was that simple. So I think that's my only theory, because otherwise, like you said, I I don't have an explanation for this. According to Dom's model, the Buffalo Sabres have less than a 1% chance at making the playoffs. So I think it's safe to say that this this (laughs) really puts them over the top. I don't, like I said, I, I think it was more of, like, Tom Fitzgerald doing Wayne Simmons a solid. And I will give Tom Fitzgerald that credit, because he gets that kind of thing. I think it's stupid, but should we get to the Kovalev shift? Uh, yeah, let's let's do that. Alright, so... Kovalev Shift brought to you by Major League Socks. You can use promo code STAFFGRAFT, no spaces, STAFFGRAFT, to get, what is it, 15% off your first purchase? You bet. There you go. I know I'm a big Babcock, uh, Bab Socks kind of guy. I'm always wearing them around my house. Who do you wear? What, what socks do they have? I know they have a bunch of all-stars and like former greats around the league. Um, so I actually have a bunch of socks just because, uh, I wear suits for a living now. Um, I have a couple of Leafs, but then I, like, I recently got, um, Sidney Crosby because 10 years since the golden goal. Hello. Um, Elias Pettersson, uh, Jean Beliveau is a big one for me. I, I really like those. Um, Matt Sundin. Um, yeah, like I have quite a few pairs and, uh. I really like them. Uh, Pavel Datsuk, big fan. All right, so the Kovalev shift is where we hop on the ice like Alexei Kovalev, and we don't hop off the ice for a little bit. Just, you know, coast around here for a little bit. So the Kovalev shift question today, how good are the Philadelphia Flyers? Ooh. Okay, so I was kind of doing some digging 
on this. And I went through some of their advanced stats. I asked some people who had some access to some non-public advanced stats. And they're not like at the top end in terms of like top two, top three. But in some stats, they're ranked in the top five or top six. But for most of the stats, so like possession and scoring chances generated, scoring chance share, um, high danger, chances converted, like they're kind of in the 13 to 15 range. So I don't think they're as good as like a division winner type of situation, but I do think that they are going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Like I think they make the playoffs and I think they're a very tough out, similar to what Columbus was last year. So according to Dom Lestrigian, who is the first person I look to whenever I'm trying to judge what are the odds of this team making the playoffs, Flyers are at 99%. So unless, ah. unless they go on a 10-game losing streak, which just would never happen in Philadelphia, then no, and then follow it up with a 10-game winning streak just because that's how the seasons tend to go. Philadelphia has always confused me because I've always looked at the talent on the roster and gone, you know what? I like that. I think Claude Giroux, now that he's kind of having this second wind in his career on the wing because Sean Couturier playing down the middle allows him to do that. I like Claude Giroux offensively on the power play. I think he's a special player. James Van Riemsdyk, I think he's special in front of the net and I think he's terrible in all other areas of the ice, but I still think that has value. Travis Konechny really making an impact this year. I think taking that next step forward these last couple of years that people wanted to see him make. Kevin Hayes, probably not worth $7 million, but really helping that penalty kill and helping solidify them down the middle with a top six center. The defense was the question for me because Ivan Provorov, is he a number one? Is he a true top pairing guy? Is he going to be worth that contract? How does Matt Niskanen fit into the fold? Does Travis Sanheim take that next step forward? What is Philip Myers? Is he a true top four or is he more of a five, six kind of guy? I think that they've answered a lot of those questions in a positive way this year. So if Carter Hart can keep giving them the goaltending, it's a pretty good team. And I feel like they have been for the last couple of years. Why is it that things are clicking now and they weren't clicking over the last couple of seasons? So I would just like to take a very small moment to point out that a lot of those players you just named were acquired by Ron Hextall, who famously lost his job for what I believed was no good reason. I thought he did a really good job, especially when you consider what he came into, all the bad contracts and, they and had And the reason they got rid in. of him was because he wouldn't bring up Carter Hart because he didn't want to sewer him. And lo and behold, they didn't bring him up. They waited another year, and he hasn't, unlike many other Philadelphia Flyer goaltenders, just collapsed and folded his tent and forgotten how to play goalie. Um, so I think Ron Hextall doesn't get a ton of credit and he absolutely should, because he did most of the legwork for this team in terms of the drafting, the contracts, keeping players down. Like, he found Philip Myers, well, his scouting staff did, but he offered him the contract, the Carter Hart situation. Like, I think he deserves a lot of credit. But for me, like, I think, I think you kind of nailed it in your assessment um, I'm not necessarily convinced that Provorov is a true number one in the sense like he's not in the Victor Hedman, Roman, Yossi, Shea Weber discussion of kind of top end defensemen. Um, but I think he's kind of in the tier of can play against the toughest competition and still yield relatively positive results and that has a lot of value i think sometimes we forget how much value that has when that player goes out of the lineup and you go oh crap who's gonna take you these mean minutes? like morgan riley and jake muzzin in toronto who everyone 
was like, oh, they're terrible, and then they got injured, and everyone's like, oh my god. Hey, Travis Dermott's elite, and I will not accept any of this slander, but no, yeah, no Leafs talk. Too much otherwise. Leafs talk. <laughs> um, but I, I really do think that, first of all, like, Sean Couturier, I don't care what Mike Milbury says, Sean Couturier is the most important part of their team. I mean, technically, Carter Hart is because they don't have any other goalies. Fair. Okay, player. Not because you can make the argument that the goaltender is the most important part of every team. Like if you take the starting goaltender off of probably 28 NHL teams, they just like fire into the dumpster kind of situation. Or you could just put a Zamboni driver in that. Ah, yes. Whatever works. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I think it's one of those things where Sean Couturier hasn't won a Selkie yet, uh, as probably two. And... He also contributes a lot offensively. He's kind of that Patrice Bergeron of like what Patrice Bergeron was for the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, He provides the scoring punch, but he's also the shutdown guy. Um, And I think he's playing with Voracek, who's also having a good year. And then they've got um, Travis Konechny. Like you said, he's he's terrific. Like He's having another really good year. And he's kind of one of those energy balls, too, that that brings it. He's got the feistiness. I mean, there's so many videos of him on Twitter just yelling at guys in the penalty box um, and going like Hulk mode. Um, so I think I think the Flyers, like they're not in the same conversation as a team like Tampa or Boston or Washington, but I think they're kind of on the cusp of taking that step too. We've got a young goaltender who continues to get better and maybe in a couple years with some playoff experience. Um we've got something. And if he gets hot at the right time, you never know in hockey, exactly. right? All it takes is a hot goalie and you steal a series Yaro or two. Halak. Exactly. <laughs> Sean Couturier, I hate when we do this with a player, but is this going to be his year to win the the Selkie? Or are we finally going to give him one? Um, I bet you it goes to like Bergeron Kopitar Taves or something again. I'm sick of giving I, the, the... it's Bergeron, you've had your time. Can we give it to some of these other guys now? I think Couturier deserves it. I think Sorelli deserves huge consideration, and quite honestly, so does Blake Coleman. Like, and it sucks they play on the same team now, but like, that's the reality. Hell, Pajot, what he was able to accomplish yeah. in Ottawa, it's just no one's gonna give that any meaning because they said, well, those games didn't matter. So what's amazing is like plus minus is we hate it, but his plus minus relative and air huge air quotes is something that you kind of have to take notice of because when you have a team that has that big of a negative goal differential and then you have a guy who's somehow positive, that is a little bit of a miracle and definitely says a lot about what Peugeot is as a player. That's my Panarin argument is you look at him when he's on the ice, you look at him when he's off the ice and the Rangers are a completely different team. It's kind of like Sidney Crosby last year, where it's just like, wow, this team's bad when he's off the ice, and then he hops on. It's like, oh yeah, you're one of the better teams in the league now. It's crazy how a star player can have that kind of impact. Are the Philadelphia Flyers for real? How far do they get in the playoffs? I'll say they went around for fun. So, so will I. I think think they went around. mm, I would love to see a Pittsburgh-Philly series. Oh, that would be so much fun. Let's reignite some of that Crosby-Giroux hatred. I love it. Although I think if they get Pittsburgh, they don't win. Because I don't, I have learned long ago not to bet against Sidney Crosby. See, I've learned to not bet on playoff hockey just because I'm always wrong. So, well, yeah, there's the just maybe don't gamble in general. Or and if I, you get if you get some good advice from Dom, you never know. 
nope, don't gamble. <laughs> That's we're that we're not encouraging that. Um, I think because now that we've randomly gotten into gambling, we should probably get off the ice because this has been quite a shift. This of, is a real Alexei Kovalev shift. We're doing like, <laughs> we're circling around. <laughs> All right, let's hop off. Got any mailbag questions before we get out of here? Um, yeah, actually. Bobby Ryan came back uh, while we were away, and regardless of what you think of him as a human being, because we are not doing that on this podcast, um, how does alcoholism affect player performance? Because he was in the NHL substance abuse program, kind of came out and said like he was having issues with alcohol, and his first home game came back, scored a hat-trick. Obviously, that's a great story, but I think maybe the bigger question is like, how does substance abuse impact player performance? And... I don't know if you want to touch on that. See, I feel like this is probably your, more your area of expertise with your medical uh, kind of all the research and stuff you're doing right now in university. But before I, I just kind of let you take off here, how cool was that to see the standing ovation and him tearing up on the bench and just what it meant to him? And it was it was really cool to see. Like in a week where the NHL had like the emergency backup story, like there were a couple of really good stories. That was a story that actually really stuck out to me because like coming back from alcoholism as a non-professional athlete, just as like a regular human being is that's an accomplishment that deserves a huge amount of credit. And for someone to come back and, and be able to have that kind of performance, like it really, it was really heartwarming, quite honestly. Um, but in terms of how it affects player performance, I mean, there, it's no secret. Katie Strangs wrote about it in The Athletic uh, a few months ago. Uh, there's a massive cocaine problem in the NHL. Um, and there Evgeny are players... Kuznetsov disagrees. <laughs> there are players that um, are well-known within hockey circles to use certain substances. And it does impact their performances because when it comes out that... Or when they stop doing it miraculously they have career years um and you can see a huge spike in their performance anytime you're using uh, a drug like that it, like there's a reason that it's not on the performance enhancing drug band list because it doesn't enhance your performance like it's not good for you um alcoholism takes it's a, a huge toll on your body like it totally screws up your organs obviously your liver um is chief among that but things like your digestive organs your body's ability to um digest protein and and turn it into amino acid which you need as a professional athlete um to be able to function a lot of pro nba players later in their career are cutting out alcohol to try to extend their careers and it makes sense exactly and so i think you'll actually see like everyone kind of was poking fun at Bobby Ryan and his contract, the fact he was always injured. Well, maybe the fact he was always injured was related to the fact that his body wasn't able to produce the healing antibodies um, for like sickness and um, able to restructure proteins because of the alcoholism. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an uptick in his production um, now that he's clean. And that's one of those things where alcoholism is a huge predictor of injury. So a lot of times if you see injury prone players and I'm not talking like broken leg, I'm talking like muscle injuries and things of that nature, um, that it could be uh, indicative of the fact that there's kind of something deeper going on. 
Um, so that's, I guess I'll see about that. That's all the research I've done. I mean, it's, I, I look at performance indicators, so maybe I'll find some other stuff out or just ask around, but that's what I would say. Anything right. else? we got one last question here. What should teams do to protect stars from injury? And I think we just need to sign more Zach Cassians because that's clearly the solution. Okay, so I, I'll pose this to you. You just went to LA and you, before you went, talked about how you were worried that guys like Kawhi Leonard and Zion Williamson weren't going to play, but them not playing at a, in a, on a Tuesday and whatever um, likely means that they'll be ready to go for the playoffs. And it, are you okay with that? So to me, like it obviously worked with Kawhi Leonard last year in Toronto because we know how that turned out. Um, what is your opinion on it? Because you seem to be like really excited about seeing these players, but then you're kind of worried that they're not going to play. Whereas in hockey, we know that unless their arm is falling off, that they're probably going to play. Yeah, I think it's whether or not you're working for a team or whether you're a just genuine fan. So, for example, if I want to see Kawhi versus Giannis and I go to a bar to watch that game and then I get to the bar and I find out that Kawhi's sitting out, it sucks. And you want to see the best players in the league. You you buy a ticket to go see Connor McDavid or fun, let's say. And he's load managing that night and he doesn't play. How much would that suck to have spent all your money on that ticket and you don't even get to see what you paid for? I know it's why Michael Jordan back in the day always felt the need to put on a show for the fans that showed up. And that's kind of the old school Gretzky mentality. Gretzky said the same thing. Yeah, that's the old school mentality. The the kind of, I guess, the, the, the load management people who are ruining this, the San Antonio Spurs and Kawhi Leonard and company, are saying, look... At the end of the day, all we care about are rings. All we care about is whether or not you won in the playoffs. The regular season, no one really cares about it. You know, I know that there's that famous tweet that what the the regular season is the best indicator of success, or it's it's the true test of merit for a team. And everyone makes fun of that tweet because no, it's not. No one cares about the regular season. We only care about the playoffs. And if we only care about the playoffs, then doesn't it make sense to sit a player of the odd game here and there? I know Dom Lucision wrote a great article about this recently, about why more teams should load manage in the NHL. And it's because when you look at the impact that a player has on a team's chances of winning, it's nowhere near as strong as in the NBA. And in the NBA, teams are resting their players and are still reaping benefits from it. So in the NHL, you could sit your star player five games in an 82-game season, just kind of space him out so that he kind of reduces his overall load throughout the course of the season. Especially if they're older. Like, why would Jason Spezza, Jordan, uh, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, even Shea Weber, like, players of that nature, why do they need to play all 82 games? Maybe once every 10 games is not a bad thing. They do that in the MLB all the time, where, you know, you'll see Jose Bautista get just an off day. And it's because you're old, you need the time for your body to heal up. These 21 and 22-year-olds, they're probably good to go. You know, their, their bodies are in peak physical conditioning. But that 38-year-old who's sitting on the, the end of your bench, who's huffing and puffing, maybe give him a day off or two throughout the course of the season. Is that such a crazy idea? Uh, yes, actually. Because if you remember, the Blue Jays sat Vladdy Guerrero on a Canadian holiday when everyone purchased tickets. And it was a national story for Almost a week. That was so dumb, though. They could have easily just rested him on July second, and they chose July first. Yeah, to it was him. like, what are you so doing? Dumb. That's that's just just like look at the calendar, please. You can load manage properly. I mean, you can sit someone against the Minnesota Wild, and no one's gonna care. But if you sit them on Hockey Night in Canada against McDavid, 
yeah, people are probably going to get a bit pissed off. So I think there's a way to do this where you don't piss off the fans as much. But uh, again, the the cultural differences between the way NBA yeah. organizations are run and NHL organizations are run, we're, we're nowhere near there yet. But I think we'll slowly get there as the years move on. Like, honestly, when you look at it, and you mentioned cultural differences, we have hockey players that play with various serious injuries that we have brought up time and time again on this podcast. And, like, we see in basketball, if someone has, like, and I always kind of chirp them, a hangnail, they don't play. So it's one of those things where if you aren't feeling well, you have a sprained finger. Like, I have never seen a hockey player out with a sprained finger. I've seen plenty of basketball and baseball players out because they know when they're injured, they can't perform to their best. And so there's no reason for them to be in the lineup. Whereas in hockey, like we kind of said, your arm has to be falling off or you have to have a punctured lung to not play. So I think this notion of oh, we'll load manage when we can't even get injured players to stay out of the lineup is maybe a bit of a falsehood. Like, we need to get to a point where injured players know that they have to sit before we can get to a point of, you're healthy, but we're going to sit you because it's what's best for your health. Especially in the regular season. In the playoffs, I get it. You know, in the playoffs, if you're playing with something that you probably shouldn't be playing with, but you're kind of doing that at your own risk... I understand that because I feel like I'm an idiot and I would probably do the same thing. But in oh, game, we talked about how we did that. <laughs> yeah, but in game 45 of, a, of an 82-game regular season on a Tuesday night in Tampa or Carolina or insert city, do you really need to be pushing it when you could be risking serious injury long-term? I don't know. I just I think that's kind of where the cost-benefit analysis is. But again, as someone who was terrified of Kawhi not playing in the game that I paid for, the one Clippers game I was going to, he ended up playing, and so did Paul George, and I was really lucky, and it was fun. But if he didn't, I would have been really pissed, and I understand that from a fan's perspective as well. Right. All right, well, uh, I think we'll get out of here. Um, we will be back next week. We don't know when, depending on when I have to leave for Nationals, which is uh, kind of on the other side of the country. Where is it? Um, it where is it? Yep. Prince Edward Island. Ooh, that's like the yeah, middle so of it's, nowhere. Do they have their own... Yeah, uh, it's a long travel day. Is that the one with its own time zone, or is that Newfoundland? That's Newfoundland. Oh, Prince okay. Edward Island is like the bridge that's like a $25 toll to get across. Um, so we'll be back next week. Um, but until then, I have a league final to prepare for on Friday night. Uh, one game winner take all. And Oh, well, I guess... I think you're going, Ian's got like a March break camp because he's a good person and helps kids with special needs. So we'll be back next week, right, Ian? Yep. It's called Camp Kennebec. It's in the middle of nowhere in between like Kingston and Ottawa. He doesn't get cell phone service. It's literally in the middle of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, but I'm going to be still doing the Leafs report cards. We, we worked out a deal where I'm going to take off after dinner on, on, on the night of Leafs games and I'll, I'll find a way to record a podcast either Sunday or Monday or something. I'll, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. I found a way in L.A. I recorded from a closet. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and apologize that the fact that I recorded in a hockey rink and you recorded in a closet. The audio turned out way better than I expected it to. I thought it was going to be terrible. And that and it is was... Connor, our producer. We love him. So thanks to Connor. And we'll be back next week. Ian will be recording from a forest. And I will either be recording from my bedroom, or likely a hockey rink, which we might get yelled at for. But hey, who cares? <laughs>
You're a hockey person. You're going to be around the rink, you know, a rink rat. Yeah, exactly. Boots, bootstraps, we'll pull them up and we'll do them up and we'll go and do hockey things. In the trenches with Ryan Rashog. In the right. trenches. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, enjoy your week, Rachel. We'll talk next week. Sounds good. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.